The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In today's message, we begin looking at some objections to the doctrine of election that we often hear. In the ninth chapter of Romans, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, dealt with two major objections that people raise who don't understand the doctrine of election as it's taught in the scripture. The first objection is what I call the fairness objection. It just wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be fair if God chose some and didn't give everybody a chance. We're going to see that a chance salvation wouldn't benefit us at all. And amazing fairness is not a very sweet song. Amazing grace is what we need. The second objection is what I call the absolutism objection. This objection presumes that God is causing everything that happens, including sin, and manipulating us as a puppet master would manipulate a puppet. And therefore, he can't find fault with us because we're always doing what he wants. Well, first of all, it's pretty clear that we don't always do what God wants. I don't know about you, but most of the time it seems like I'm going contrary to God's will. But secondly, it's clear from the Word of God that the theory of absolute predestination of all things is wrong. God predestinated a people to be conformed to the image of His Son, but He didn't predestinate things to occur in this world. His providence certainly is active daily. I've seen it in my life. But predestination is not a thing that applies to events. It applies only to God's people. We're going to see that this objection to election fails because the foundation that it's built upon crumbles. In the first half of this message, which we will hear today, we deal primarily with the fairness objection, but we begin to look at this absolutism objection as well. I hope you'll stay with us through this message and also the one tomorrow because God wants his people to be prepared to answer these objections in a godly, biblical way. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
been in a series on the kingdom of God about particularly our articles of faith. And article three of our articles of faith says, we believe in the doctrine of election, predestination, and the final perseverance of the saints through grace, and that God chose his people in Christ before the world began. In the last couple of messages, we've dealt with what election is not. And we talked about that. I won't go back and re uh, rehash that, but we talked about what it isn't. And then last time we talked about what it is. And we saw that it is a, the merciful act of a loving, compassionate God in reaching down and taking out of the mass of humanity that otherwise would go to hell a people for his namesake, a people that he purposed to save from before the foundation of the world, and indeed a people who could not save themselves. If you're here this morning and you have uh, the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That's evidence that you're one of His children, and that's evidence that, that God has had compassion and mercy upon you. So we talked about that last time, and we talked about the fact from Romans chapter 9, and you can turn there if you'd like, that verse uh, 16 tells us that the doctrine of election, the election of God, is not based upon merit or upon works or upon the will of the person being chosen in Christ. Notice what he said in verse 16. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And I just want to say this here too. You, you cannot ever separate the doctrine of election from the mercy of God. Uh, some, sometimes people get this idea that, that the doctrine of election and predestination is some kind of double-edged sword. In other words, that God has predestinated some to heaven and that he actively predestinated others to hell. Beloved, we don't need God's help getting to hell. I've said that so many times, you ought to be able to quote that by now. We, we are on our way to hell because of what God, or what Adam rather did to us. Adam is the reason we are on the way to hell. But God in his mercy reached down and saved his people from their sins. And it's not of him that willeth, that takes the will of man out of consideration, nor of him that runneth, that's the works of man. But it's of God that showeth mercy. This morning, if the Lord will be our helper, I want us to look at some objections to the doctrine of election. We won't rehash what election is, but you see, in the ninth chapter of Romans, God deals through the Apostle Paul directly with the doctrine of election. He tells us what it is, and in his providential knowledge, his omniscience, he knew there would be some objections that would come up that would be raised, and he goes ahead and deals with them. And let me say this, the, the purpose of the message this morning, I, I trust and hope, is that you and I might be able to answer those objections when they're raised. That's the reason I believe Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He didn't want us to be out there and when somebody says, well, wait a minute, uh, I object to the doctrine of election on this ground, and you have to say, well, I, you know, I, I don't know how to answer that. I, I just go ask my preacher or go to seminary or you know, figure something out. No, he wanted us to be able to deal with that directly. So, so let's talk about that for a few minutes. Going back to the ninth chapter of Romans, in verse 10, we'll begin reading there to sort of catch the context. He says, not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, 
For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. Now notice, we don't have to wonder what the purpose here is, what the reason Paul's writing. He says that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. I've said this so many times that I don't want to spend too much time on it, but two things. God doesn't play hide the ball. He, he doesn't put stuff in his word and say, well, you're never going to figure that out. Now, understand, there's stuff in his word we're never going to figure out. <laughs> but it's not because God's hiding it from us. He puts it out there for us to study. And we can study and should study all of our lives and learn as much as we can, realizing we'll never learn it all. We'll never know it all. But God doesn't try to trick us and hide things. God doesn't do that. Sometimes I realize that, that you have to dig a little bit to figure out what God's dealing with, what he's talking about. You don't have to hear. Notice what he just said, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. In other words, I'm telling you about the doctrine of election. And, and you'll notice that he's using Jacob and Esau, two young brothers, to demonstrate this doctrine, to talk about it to us and explain it to us. Two twin brothers who came from the same father, the same mother, and he says, by the way, this is before they've ever done any good or evil. So you can't go around weighing how much good one's done versus how much evil the other's done. And by the way, you don't want to do that anyway, because if you look at the life of Jacob, I don't believe his good works outweighed his bad. <laughs> I don't believe if you look at my life or your life, you can say that either. Notice he said that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, and here he goes on to explain it, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. I spent last Sunday night preaching on that topic uh, about what, what the, the, the point of that is to show us how much he loves us. The point of that is not about Esau have I hated. The main point of that is Jacob have I loved. <laughs> and here's how. Okay, after saying all that about election, then here comes the first objection. Verse 14. The first objection. I call this the fairness objection. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Now, if you've ever talked about the doctrine of election to anybody who doesn't, doesn't believe it or hadn't necessarily heard it before, you know, I, I'm assuming that you know, because that's been my experience, that one of the first things they'll say is, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. God, God chose some, he didn't choose others. That's just not fair. It wouldn't be right for God to do that. And, and that's what this objection is that Paul is setting out here. He knew that would come. God knew that was going to be the objection. And he said, okay, Paul, you write this because I want you to be able to answer this. As pastor, I want you to be able to answer this. I want me to be able to answer this. He says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? In other words, God just wouldn't be righteous if he chose some without giving everybody a chance. In other words, eternal salvation isn't fair if election is true. Now, quickly, I just want to say this. I know I've said it before, but I want to ask you a question. Do we really want a chance salvation? <laughs> you know, do we really want God to be fair with us? Amazing fairness is not a sweet song. Amazing grace is the sweetest of all, right? So let's look at the answers that uh, Paul gives us on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. How do we answer the fairness objection? Paul here initially answers this objection, the same way my daddy used to answer 
any objection I would raise when he told me to do something. And I, I, he'd say, son, this is the way it is. And I'd say, why? You know, if I had that, that attitude of sort of rebellious and challenging, why? And, and of course, you know what his answer was. Because I said so. <laughs> I'm your daddy, and you're going to do what I say. <laughs> and, and, and let me just say that, that, that my daddy was one of the best daddies that's ever lived. I'm so thankful for him. But even he wasn't perfect. But our God is the perfect daddy. He's the perfect daddy. And, and he gets it even more right than my daddy did. But even so, with my father, when I would go to him and I would ask a question, sometimes he would say, because I said so. Usually he would always start off there. But if I were sincerely inquiring, if, if, if I were really, you know, Daddy, why are we doing it this way? He would take the time and he would sit down and explain it to me. And he would show me how he's not just, you know, I should do it just because he said so, but you also should do it because it's right. <laughs> it's right. So this is kind of the way God approaches it here. The first answer he gives when you say, is there unrighteousness with God, is God forbid. God forbid. Now, first of all, that tells us two things. First of all, God is a sovereign God. God forbid is always the first answer we're going to get when we question him because Psalm 115 and verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Our God is a sovereign God. He's the sovereign creator of the universe. And he has the right to do anything and everything that he pleases. He has that right. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35, very familiar passage to most of us, where King Nebuchadnezzar comes back out of the field where God had turned him out to pasture like an old cow. <laughs> and he comes back to his senses and he, and he makes this declaration about God, which we ought to always remember. He doeth according to his will. That is God doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? <laughs> You know, that tells me two things about God. You can't stop him and you can't even question him. Job decided he wanted to question God. Oh, Lord, if you'll just show up. I got some questions for you. I'm going to lay my case out for you. And God showed up and God asked all the questions. And Job couldn't answer one. <laughs> and he recognized that. See, God is a sovereign, omnipotent God. And a sovereign, omnipotent God can do whatever he pleases. Okay? That's, that's the first answer, but turn with me over to Psalm 135 just for a minute, because I think this gives us a glimpse into the, the further glimpse into the nature of God. In Psalm 140, 135, in verse 4, we'll just jump, there, jump in there to give the context. Notice what he says. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself, and Israel for his peculiar treasure. For I know that the Lord is great and that our God, our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased that, that he did in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places. And he goes on to prove it by reciting the things, the great deeds that God has done. But here's the point I want you to notice here. Yes, God is an omnipotent God. Yes, he does whatsoever he pleases. But notice here particularly his omnipotence is couched in terms of his love for his people. You know, we could have jumped in at verse 6 and just said, whatsoever God pleased, he did that in heaven. And that would have been true and it would have been great. But if you back up those two verses, you'll see, wait a minute. 
The psalmist here is talking about God's omnipotence in the context of the fact that God chose Jacob. He chose, now, now, he's not just talking about Jacob the man. Jacob here is a representative of all of God's people. And he says, I know he is great, but notice he has chosen Israel to be his peculiar treasure. Which brings us to the second point about the greatness of God. Not only is God a sovereign God, God is a righteous God. And remember the objection is this, God, you just wouldn't be right if you did this. You're just not righteous. Is there unrighteousness with God? It's just not right for God to, to choose a people to save and pass by others. It just wouldn't be right. And here's the second part of that, that answer is God is omnipotent, yes, but God is righteous. God is righteous. He is a righteous God. Remember, when you're talking about God, you're not just talking about some Zeus sitting up on Mount Olympus who is fickle and, and, and trying to do everything he can to cause problems for men. You're talking about the God of heaven who is not just omnipotent and not just completely in charge of this universe, but also a righteous and a holy God. And you know what righteous, being righteous means? That means that he always does right. See, that's so important isn't it to remember about our God and that'll help us in, 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 in delving into things we might not understand in the scriptures if we start from that premise no matter where the scriptures take us no matter what the word of God says even if I don't understand it even if, if in my flesh I don't agree with it God is always righteous God is always doing the right thing. You know, he asked that question in Genesis chapter 18. Abraham asked the question, and it was a rhetorical question. It didn't merit an answer. It didn't deserve an answer because he knew the answer. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Do right. You see, God in his nature is, is certainly right. We're told that his name is holy and reverend. In Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 6, his name is called the Lord our righteousness. And his nature, we're told, is holy and righteous. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, over there about verse 3, as Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and, and a vision of heaven there and the seraphim were circling around singing. What were they singing? They were, praise God, they weren't saying fair, fair, fair. <laughs> you know, they were saying holy, holy, holy. And there's more to holiness than just fairness, you see. There's, there's all kinds of things caught up in that, including His grace and love. But He's a holy God. And that means everything He does is right. His actions are always correct. See, that's the first part of the answer to this objection. When someone says, wait a minute, it just wouldn't be right if the doctrine of election is true. The first answer is, look, if you have a problem with the doctrine of election, you're misunderstanding the nature of God. You're misunderstanding who God is and what he is and what he does. We see God is always right. He's always righteous. He's not just omnipotent. He's a loving God who is holy and righteous. And the second answer to that objection is this. Election is not about fairness. Election is about mercy and grace. You misunderstand the very nature of God if you charge him with unrighteousness. And you misunderstand the doctrine of election, if you charge God with unrighteousness based upon your understanding of election. See, election, as I said, is about the mercy of God. The wrath of God is real. 
The wrath of God will be executed upon all the ungodly, all the wicked one day, all the wicked things that have occurred in, in life will be adjudicated by God in a perfect way one day. But the doctrine of election is not about his wrath, it's about his mercy. Remember what we said, in that, in, and he says this in the very next verse. Remember verse 14, what should we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, you're misunderstanding God if you're charging him with unrighteousness, but let's go further, and you're misunderstanding election if you, if you think that has something to do with God being unrighteous, because verse 15 says, he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You see, the doctrine of election, that's probably the best statement of election I've ever read in the Scriptures, that it is all about God having mercy on whom He will and having compassion on whom He will, none of whom deserve it. <laughs> none of whom deserve it. The Lord God is a righteous God who shows righteous mercy. And by the way, we're not going there today, maybe next week. How is it that he can show, righteously show mercy and grace on those who do not deserve it? It's not because they've worked it up within themselves, but it's because of what his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came and did on the cross. You see, sin must be paid for before the eyes of a holy God. He is so righteous that not one sin will slip through the cracks. Not one sin will be, will be left unpunished. And if, it's, if it were left up to man uh, to pay for the sins, he could only pay on them for eternity. But God, through his son, his son paid for the sins of his people on the cross. Those sins are paid for and covered in the blood of Christ. So, as we keep reading here, he goes on to say, verse 16, It is not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy, reminding us that man is dead in trespasses and in sins and cannot operate in the spiritual realm until he's been born again. No more than a physically dead man can operate in the physical world. A spiritually dead man cannot operate in the spiritual world. It's not about the will of man. Praise God it's not about the will of man because he tells us in John chapter 5 and verse 40, ye will not come unto me that ye might have eternal life. See? Man won't do it. If it was up to my will, it would, it would be all for naught. Then he goes on to say, and we'll begin reading in verse 17, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Now I'm going to come back to that, but notice that leads us right into the second objection. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault, for who hath resisted his will? Now I call this the absolutism objection. <laughs> The absolutism. In other words, somebody will say, well, if this is true, isn't everybody just acting according to God's will, which nobody can resist, and therefore it wouldn't be fair if God yet found fault. You remember what he said about Pharaoh in verse 17? And, and let me just say this. This is not a problem verse for those of us who are not absoluters, who do not believe in the absolute predestination of all things. You see, we're going to see something here in a minute. Uh, hopefully we'll come back to it this morning, but I, I'll just go ahead and give you a little preview how is it that God hardened Pharaoh? He hardened Pharaoh by just leaving him alone. You know, we're not neutral beings. 
I don't know about you, but my inclination, I'm not, I'm not just neutral. I'm thankful I have a spiritual nature through the new birth where I can do things that please God. But if I just was left alone in my natural man, I'd just, you know, we're told in Romans chapter 8, about the verse 5 or 6 there, it said the carnal mind, which I still have and you still have, is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. In my flesh, I'm not a neutral moral creature. I'm an immoral creature. You see, I'm dead in trespasses and sins. I'm an enemy of God. I'm not just over here saying, well, I think I'll do good today. I think I'll do good tomorrow. No, I'm, my, the imagination of my heart is wholly bent upon evil. And if I were left alone, guess what? That's all I would do. And that's what he did to Pharaoh. We'll come back to that, Lord willing. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.